Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. My name is Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Good to be with you guys this, this morning. Um, the carpet looks great, does it not? Can we praise the Lord? Uh, David, thanks so much for just working hard. He was here till like 10 o'clock last night, I think, just working away at the carpet. And Natalie, um, Marcella, she's in Mexico, so we won't thank her. Um, she's on vacation. Uh, Trevor, I don't know where he's at, if he's here this morning, but a lot of people just came together to uh, put the carpet down. So I'm really grateful that we get to actually have it and not see coffee stains all over the place anymore. So praise God. Um, friends, uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts for over a year now. It's crazy to think that, that we've taken periodic like breaks from the book of Acts, but we've been going through it for so long. And the Lord has just continued to reveal to us as his people that he uses us, his spirit-empowered, filled people to continue to go forward on the mission to proclaim his name. And Jesus has had grace to show us and to teach us that that is our mission today as well, too. And so as we look at the book of Acts this morning, as specifically chapter 23, I was pondering uh, just some different times in my life, uh, different people, friends that I've had the pleasure of sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with, and I, it brought back to me some memories of a roommate that I once had. And so I want to share just the story of our conversation and what that kind of looked like between the two of us. Now, my friend, uh, my roommate, we, we would have conversations about Jesus, the Bible, um, everything that Christians believe pretty often. He wasn't opposed to having the conversations, but he, he didn't believe in Jesus. He actually didn't believe a God existed at all. He was an atheist. And so, but uh, he was kind enough to just say, hey, let's actually have some conversations. I like asking questions. I like wondering why you believe what you believe. And so we started talking uh, just about science and God. And so as we started having the conversation, he's a, a science genetics major. And so he just kind of was rolling with the questions. And I don't know the answer to half of them because I don't really know how genetics work at all. Um, but we're having this conversation and he's talking to me uh, really and just posing questions like, hey, if science somehow proved with hard facts that God was real, I would believe it. He was saying, like, if there was definitive facts that it, that it proved that God was real, which there is, um, that I would believe it. And so, and then he started to kind of turn the conversation into more so of an attack on me. He said, but if science proved with hard facts that God wasn't real, you wouldn't waver in your faith. He was essentially telling me that I would deny the science, and he was kind of starting to get to the, his point. And he was like, well, you are probably more small-minded, you're ignorant, and you're stubborn, and I'm open-minded. I'm flexible, and I'm agreeable in what I believe. And if there was just like these facts right in front of you, you wouldn't waver. And I looked at him, and I said, you're right. I, I wouldn't give myself over to facts of science. And so we started to dive into why, and I said, man, science changes constantly. It, it's not definitive. And so we started talking about different things, and uh, just like one that's random and open to us this morning is like, hey, the Earth, we used to believe it's flat. It's not flat. We know it's not flat. Hey, Pluto was a planet. Nah, then it wasn't. And now it is again. And, and we're just kind of going back and forth. Hey, there were facts and data that showed the Huskers used to be good at football. <laughs> And now they're not so much anymore. And, and so I just was kind of trying to reveal to him that you're, you're putting your hope in something that, like, we grow and we learn and it changes and we learn new things and, it, and, it, and we actually change our minds with it. 
And what I was trying to show him was that my hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that is exactly what I put my hope and trust in, not in some uh, fact that might change a couple hundred years from now or whatever, but everything is based on the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is the tomb actually empty? Because that is where my life is driven from, right? How I live my life, what I put my hope and belief in, and where I get my comfort from, everything is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So this morning, as we look at Acts 23, we're going to see that same exact truth, that our big idea for us this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ drives our lives. And we're going to see that in three movements, and so our table of contents for us this morning is that we'll see that the resurrection drives our character, the resurrection is the hope that we believe in, and the resurrection provides us comfort. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 with us. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a bookshelf full of them. They're free, yours for the taking, our gift to you. The main thing is we want this thing in your hands. I want you to see that this isn't just me saying some words, but this is God actually speaking truth to you. So feel free to take one of those. Uh, but please open up with me, Acts chapter 23, and I'm actually going to start the verse right before, so 22 verse 30, and I'm going to read uh, some of this for us this morning. It says this, the next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, are you ordering me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, Do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul. For it is written, You must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So the first point that we see this morning is that the resurrection drives our character. Now, in the last scene, so last week we talked about uh, what was happening right before this scene. Paul had gone to Jerusalem. He got, uh, he was with the Roman guards, and they got him, and they're beating him up. They find out he's a Roman citizen, so they stop. And then this Roman commander kind of starts wondering, okay, why is all this happening to this guy? Why, why are we beating this man up? Why is this man on trial? Why are people freaking out about this guy? So the Roman commander grabs Paul, releases him, and he takes him to the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, where Paul stands before them. He tells them that he's lived his life in good conscience, in obedience to God, and the high priest orders somebody to slap Paul. Hey, good morning. There you go. Uh, how's that for a welcome? Paul comes back at them with like a nasty rebuke, and uh, then he realizes, hey, that's the high priest. Probably shouldn't do that. He apologizes for that. So uh, this whole scene is kind of wacky. It, it's just weird. Uh, so let's unpack some things so that can help us uh, just understand exactly what's happening here. So it starts, again, uh, with Paul defending himself. Now, why is he defending himself? Well, he's caught. And so he goes before these Jewish leaders. It calls them the Sanhedrin. 
Who were the Sanhedrin? It's basically a group of, of Jewish priests uh, and Jewish uh, Sadducees, so Pharisees and Sadducees, who come together, who are judge and jury. So Paul's on trial. He's standing before them on trial. He defends himself by saying, I've lived my life in good conscience according to God. Now, these uh, Pharisees, right, these Sadducees, Ananias, who's the high priest, kind of top dog, he's the leader of the uh, Jewish religious leaders, he orders one of the other ones, and he says, hey, you got to give that guy a whooping. Uh, so they smack him, and they completely disagree with Paul. Where they disagree with is that Paul believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they hit him because uh, when Paul says, hey, I've lived my life in good conscience, Ananias hears that and receives that as heresy, as, as blasphemy, as something that's wrong. So he actually goes back and says, hey, we need to hit him because he's not actually proclaiming truth. And so there's this disagreement between them on who Jesus is, what he's done, what Paul's doing in the communities and sharing the gospel. And then Paul snaps back. He calls them a whitewashed wall. Some versions use whitewashed tomb. So what that means for us today to kind of look at that and go, okay, what does that even mean? It's basically something that's really cleaned up and done up well on the outside, but on the inside is absolutely corrupt and dead. So Ananias is the high priest, right? He's dressed up in his Jewish robes and his garment. He's rocking. He looks good, fresh, but on the inside, he's actually not at all. He's totally corrupt. He's dead on the inside, isn't actually walking and caring for what the Lord has. And so Paul calls him out on it, calls him a hypocrite, tells him, hey, no, you're not actually that person. And when then uh, Ananias' homies kind of back him up and they're like, hey, dude, that's the high priest, can't do that. So Paul steps, hey, I apologize, all right? I'm not gonna say those words again. Uh, but he also just continues to hit on this re reality of going, hey, is this man actually walking after God's? own heart? Is this man actually a, a true religious leader for the Jewish people? That's the question that we kind of walk away with. How did Paul not know that Ananias was the high priest? Or did he know? Well, it's one of two things, really. Uh, Paul's either being really sarcastic with his comment uh, and just responding back and saying like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. Um, or it's because Paul's been traveling throughout the, the world and he's been out of Jerusalem for a number of years and just doesn't really know what's going on within uh, the Jewish uh, um, religion. So either way, what we walk away with from this scene is that Ananias is a corrupt man. We know this from church history. It tells us that Ananias was not a good dude. He was hungry for greed, he was quick-tempered, he's violent, and he had just a strong allegiance to the Romans. He was kind of in their pocket. So he really didn't care about what was happening to the Jews, but he only cared about what was happening to him and the benefit of what was going on in his own life. So what sticks out to me as I study these passages, as I read these verses and I think about them, is the contrast between Paul and Ananias. The contrast between the two. They grew up very similarly. Paul's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. Ananias, Pharisee. He's Jewish, right? But Paul lives his life in good conscience, while Ananias doesn't. They, they're completely opposite in those ways, right? Ananias is corrupt, evil, spiritually dead, and yet clean on the outside, or appearing to be clean on the outside. Now, their character is different because of one major thing, because of Jesus. Paul loves Jesus, looks to Jesus as his Lord and Savior, has transformed his life. 
while Ananias doesn't believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah who rose from the dead. It's who they worship. Ananias worships himself. Uh, Ananias doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but Paul actually witnessed and saw and met the resurrected Jesus, and that's what drives his character. That's what drives how he responds. That's what drives what he says and how he acts. Uh, just like we, we were talking about uh, the book of Titus just a few months ago, right? We, we know and learn that as a people of God, we are to be set apart. We're to be holy. We're to walk towards God and to love people. And our good character doesn't come from trying to earn God's favor, but our good character comes because we have God's favor, because we believe in who Jesus is, because what he's done in our lives and how he's totally changed our lives. That's why we continue to move forward. And that's why we have good godly character as Christians, as believers, because of the resurrection. The resurrection drives our character. So for us today, as we read this story, we must examine our own hearts. We have to examine our own hearts and what's going on in our own lives. Is our character actually driven by the resurrection of Jesus, or is it not? Or are we whitewashed tombs who are cleaned on the outside, but yet on the inside far from God? Putting a face together, a great appearance, to seem like everything is going well, but on the inside we're spiritually dead. Friends, this is a question for us this morning. A people who love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, or a people who are not even close to him and walking with him and just pretending and faking it the entire time? Friends, I personally often look like Ananias. Constant moments where I find myself putting on a face and pretending everything's okay when different things are happening on the inside. For us this morning, does it look like uh, we're whitewashed tombs? Do we look like a people who are maybe behind the scenes struggling with a lot of different things, whether it's marriage and we're just being passive because we want to avoid the arguments? Is it that we cope with a stressful day at work or at home or whatever it is by just leaning on alcohol and continuing to fall towards that rather than resting on Jesus and getting our hope and rest in him? Is it that we're addicted to our phone screens and avoiding people and conversations and addicted to apps and pornography or that we're terrified to mention that we feel lonely because we don't want people to see that we're weak or that we need someone as community or that we're filling our void of where Jesus is not actually in the the midst with us and so we try to run towards dating apps and filling our time with talking to 12 different people friends what do we actually look like do we look like people who avoid emotional conversations because we're too afraid to express our weakness that one is often me we don't want to mention that things are hard because we're afraid of showing how we're actually weak we don't want to mention that things aren't perfect because we don't want to show people what's actually happening in our own lives. Friends, are we living as whitewashed tombs or, is we, or are we living as people who are looking towards the resurrected Jesus and living in that truth? That's what we need to see this morning. It's easy to be a whitewashed wall. It's easy to be someone who walks in to church on a Sunday morning and pretends like everything is okay. It's easy to walk into Citigroup on a random Monday night or whatever it is and say we understand everything that we just read in the Bible when we really don't and just have a lot of questions about who God is. It's easy to go to our huddles and to mention that our spiritual disciplines and our practice of prayer and reading our Bible is going great when really we had no time with God or we felt like when we opened the scriptures we were just kind of like, I don't know what's happening and I don't feel like I'm connected 
connecting with the Lord. It's easy to be a whitewashed wall. It's a lot harder to share the truth, is it not? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, you guys are awake? That's good. Amen. Uh, So friends, here's the challenge for us today. When we read something like this, when we're struggling with something, whatever it might be, Satan can easily and quickly deceive us to the point to where we start going, man, I'm not living my life in good conscience, and we hide that, and we keep it to ourselves, and we let it just creep into our hearts and just turn into complete darkness. But friends, the truth is for us this morning, when we keep that in darkness, that's actually dishonoring God more. That's actually dishonoring him more because when we're open and confessing our sin, confessing our struggles, loneliness, poor disciplines, being dishonorable with our taxes or our business work, whatever it is, when we don't bring that to light, it actually just leaves us in that dark hole. And so we're to confess that to Jesus first and to confess that to each other. And when we do, we have accountability to continue to walk towards holiness, to walk towards Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus in that moment drives our character. It drives who we are. And he brings that to light. And his beautiful grace just restores us and continues to remind us that the cross was big enough to defeat anything. And we receive the grace that abounds so much like it told us in the book of Romans. Friends, confessing and repenting of the same brings Jesus glory to shine in the midst of our darkness because that's the God that we serve that's the God who is real who came to save sinful people who were lost and far from him as a free gift he gave us everlasting life and he said bring all the darkness because I'm the light that shined bright in the middle of it all That's the God who continues to change our lives and that's why when we feel like we have things that we're just hiding friends don't be a whitewashed wall let the light speak into that and realize that the empty tomb is so much greater than the whitewashed wall. Realize that Jesus' light is so much better than anything you have that might be hiding on the inside. Realize that Jesus died for that truth because the reality is we're gonna mess up. We're not perfect. We'll never be perfect, and so we should just stop trying to actually pretend that we're perfect because the reality is we all have stuff that we struggle with. But Jesus has so much grace for us that he's given us himself and he's given us a people, each other, to bring that to truth with and to walk alongside in hopes that he would restore us and make us new all over again. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus drives our character because he continues to bring new life for us. If we're living disobediently, sneaky, hypocritical, unrepentant lives, when we start to mention to somebody Hey, I I follow Jesus. I love the Lord with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind, but they actually know some of the things that's going on on the backside. Why would they ever want to be a part of the family of what Christ has done? Because they see just a people who are hypocritical, a people who are continuing to deceive themselves and never actually bringing that stuff to light. But if they see a people who are committed to Christ, who are admitting their weaknesses, who are rejoicing in the fact that he makes us new and are pointing everything to him and saying, hey, I'm not perfect, but my God is, and he will one day make everything all new, and there will be, there is a hope to continue to look forward to, people want to gravitate towards that because they realize how much they need him and they see him. Friends, our outward expression should be in line with our inward conviction. R.C. Sproul, he puts it this way. He says, you may not always live out what you confess, but you will live out what you believe. What he's saying there is you may not live out what you always confess, 
right? So there are moments where I confess, man, I, I, I love Jesus. I follow him. I want to be made into his image, conformed into his image. I want to continue to grow and walk in holiness. And there's moments where I'll confess that, but then the next day I may not like live it out. For example, just to, just to be pretty real with you guys, I was thinking, man, where's, where are different moments in my life where I'm more like a whitewashed wall than I am rejoicing in the empty tomb? I came home Thursday night and I was absolutely exhausted, tired, frustrated with some things that were going on, and I got home, and I just did not have a great attitude. It was poor. I was quiet, didn't want to have a conversation at all, and I was rude towards my wife and my mother-in-law, and it just wasn't good. And that's not who I want to be. I want Jesus to continue to change and restore me, and the fact that when I'm stressed, I can point to him and say, man, I'm not okay right now. I'm frustrated, but Lord, I want you to just give me joy and hope, because this is just a short moment. And, and I didn't respond well. I, I responded like trying to just kind of keep it all to myself and bottling it up when really I just should have let Jesus bring some light to it. Friends, are we more like whitewashed walls or do we rejoice in the empty tomb that continues to have victory over all things? Um, so as we keep walking towards this, the main question that we keep looking at is, did the resurrection actually happen? Friends, we need to give our lives over to Jesus and see that he has victory over everything. If you're feeling guilt, if you're feeling shame over something that maybe you've been hiding or a dark place or something that you've been holding tight inside, whether you've just been rejecting Jesus for your whole life or it's something that you've just been struggling with for the last week or for months or for years, I want you to know that there is no more guilt. There is no more more shame. You don't need to hide that by any means because Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that there is forgiveness of our sin, that Ephesians 1 clearly tells us that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 tells us that we have new life in Christ. That's why the resurrection drives our character, because Jesus conquers all sin, defeats absolutely everything, tramples on it, stomps on it, and we can rejoice in that truth to look to him, the King of kings, who is so good to forgive us over and over again. Grace and mercy that abounds over us, friends. Praise that God. Praise that King that we worship. Amen? So friends, the question begins, what do we believe? Let's keep reading. Read verse uh, 6 through 9 with me. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection in neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The, the shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently. I don't even know how to say that word. Uh, we find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Uh, so outside of that one word that I don't know how to spell... Uh, there we go, what Pamela said. Uh, <laughs> the second point that we see this morning is that the resurrection drives our belief. The resurrection drives our belief. Paul notices while he's in the middle of this courtroom that there's, a, there's two different uh, sections of the Jewish faith, right? There's the Pharisees and there's the Sadducees. So in the middle of this, he makes an appeal to the Pharisees. He, remember, he's on trial. So he's trying to defend himself. What does he say? Hey, 
the whole reason I'm on trial is because of the hope of the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. So this divides the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Someone in our city group this last week said, see, the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe. I, I lost it. It was hilarious. Um, but it, it was, they're just sad because they don't believe in the resurrection. But anyway, this turns into like an absolutely heated discussion and argument. And the whole reason that Paul is on trial is because of the hope of resurrection. I, I love how Paul words it. He, he doesn't say, hey, I'm on trial because I believe in the hope of the resurrection. He states it like a fact. He says, I'm on trial because of the hope of the resurrection. He is clear with his words. He says, this is true. And the resurrection for us as Christians is everything. We find our hope in the truth and the fact that Jesus defeated sin and death. He did rise from the grave. Jesus rose and defeated it. And we can know that this is true. Our whole argument on why we believe what we believe, the hope that we have is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Because if Jesus never rose from the grave, he'd just be a normal human like the rest of us. Now, you might be wondering, well, there were other people in the scriptures that we've read of, even in the book of Acts, that have risen from the grave. So, like, should we worship them too? Or they got, what's, what's up with that? Well, the, their resurrections were all different. Lazarus, Tabitha, Eutychus, all of them died again. Jesus didn't. The beginning of Acts starts with him ascending up into heaven. Jesus was not resurrected to a mortal body, but he was resurrected to a glorified everlasting body. So friends, I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for us. I'd invite you to flip to 1 Corinthians 15 too, and you might as well just grab a highlighter and just highlight the whole dang chapter, because it is beautiful. Uh, so I, I just want to read uh, a portion of it for us this morning, because this clearly uh, just paints out the resurrection and how crucial it is to us as believers. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read verses 1 to 8 real quick. It says this. Oh, I love hearing the page turns. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Um, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and when he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and, uh, what, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Last of all, or then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So Paul here begins talking about the resurrection, and specifically, he gives an account of how Jesus' resurrection, he appeared in his glorified new body after rising from the dead to multiple people, eyewitnesses. He says to Peter, the 12, 500 more, he appeared to his brother James, the apostles, and finally, Paul. How do we know the resurrection is true? Eyewitness accounts. 
eyewitness accounts. There's many other reasons why we believe the resurrection is true, but this is one that absolutely floors me every single time, that there were people who were mentioned, and there were people who were named, and they were people who were still alive when this letter was first circulating the globe at that time, that they could go to those people and actually ask them, what gets me about it all is that these people died testifying the fact that they, that they saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw him physically and spoke to him and had interactions with him. And these people died for that. They were thrown in jail. They were suffering. They were beaten. They were hung upside down. All to say Jesus is alive and he is the king of the universe. Friends, people don't die for lies. Heck, when I was a kid, and probably still even as an adult, if I was lying to my mom, she used to threaten me with like the chancla, the sandal, and, and I would literally be like, mm, yep, I'm gonna start telling the truth because I don't wanna get hit with that thing. And she's got aim, man. I don't know how she does it. She's like a sniper shooter with those things. Um, but uh, so I wouldn't die for a lie. So I don't know about y'all, but I'm guessing that you probably wouldn't die for something you knew was a lie. These people died for the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, verse 12 to 19, it says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he has raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. Those, then, who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be more than, and we should be pitied more than anyone. If Jesus never rose from the dead, there, there wouldn't actually be a resurrection, and we couldn't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead if people don't rise from the grave. That's exactly what Paul is saying. None of this would matter if Jesus never rose from the dead. But I love how Paul kind of puts it. He, he's just throwing an emphasis on how important the resurrection is. He says, your faith is worthless. worthless. You're still in your sin. Those who have fallen asleep have also perished. We should be pitied more than anyone else if we worship Jesus and he didn't actually raise. But our hope is in the risen Jesus. He did actually raise from the dead. The tomb is empty and he was victorious over sin and death time and time again. He's not dead, friends. He is very much alive. And we get to celebrate and worship him today, this morning. His Holy Spirit, his presence is dwelling within you, brother, sister in Christ. He is alive. He is reigning. He is ruling. He is creating new life as we speak. People are hearing the gospel and turning to him. This is it's a beautiful fact that he is gracious and merciful and kind enough to give us new life because that God that we worship did rise from the dead. We are not to be pitied at all. We have confidence and belief in the truth that Jesus rose. Jesus Christ is the living God who defeated sin and death. He not only changes Paul's lives in this passage, but he changes our lives as well. In my conversation with my roommate, um, that I was telling you guys about at the beginning, uh, what we were constantly hung up on 
was his hope was in facts and science and hard evidence. And so we continued to think that Jesus, uh, that he continued to think that my hope in the resurrection of Christ was a terrible thing to put my hope in. And I continued to come back to him and say, friend, this is a truth. This is a fact. This is real. Jesus truly did rise from the dead. He is alive. That's what my, my hope is in. Not something that could change a couple of years from now when we find something new and discover that, hey, we were wrong and we're still moving forward. We look to Jesus and Jesus alone and the fact that he did rise from the dead. It's not those who believe who should be pitied most. It's those who choose to reject Jesus because they will miss the life that they were created for. And so we look to the King of Kings, the God who gives us eternal life, and we worship him. Friends, if you haven't given your life over to Christ, would you do this today? Would you rejoice in the resurrected King who gave his life to seek and save the lost, those who were far from him, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who came and died for our sins so that we could have life with him for all eternal? It is a free gift. It's not about being uh, cleaned up and perfect and waiting till that moment to where you're all okay and nothing wrong is happening, but he wants you today. He wants you to see that he rose from the dead and he wants to give you a new life as well, friends. You could be welcomed into the family of God today, this day. So let's keep reading about the resurrection and how it provides us comfort. Verses 10 and 11, back in Acts 23. When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it's necessary for you to testify in Rome. The third point we see in the text this morning is that the resurrection provides us comfort. Here we see the fight gets ugly. Commander goes, dang, they're going to kill this guy. So he pulls him out, takes him back to his cell, uh, and sits him down. And then Jesus shows up later and gives him the encouragement. Paul's been through a lot over the last several years. As we've been walking through the book of Acts, I, I think you guys would agree. Uh, he's been beaten, thrown in jail. I, I'd imagine he's absolutely exhausted. And in one of those moments where it just feels like, man, is this worth it? I'm so tired. Can I be done? Is my time up yet? After years of traveling, being ran out of town, beaten up over and over and over again, in the pit of a jail cell, Jesus stands right next to him. And he gives him a well done. Have courage, for you've testified about me in Jerusalem, and you will testify about me in Rome. If I was Paul, I'd be sitting down right next to Jesus, and I'd say, oh, can I just be done? I'm trying to watch some Netflix and hang out with a bucket of ice cream and just relax a little bit. And he says, have courage, for you're going to testify in Rome. Paul was almost just killed. I'd imagine fear striking him. I don't know if he was scared, but I would have been. If I keep going, I might die for, for doing this. I've almost died multiple times already. And yet Jesus comforts him so much in the middle of it and gives him a great encouragement and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he points to him. 
as I was thinking about just this scene and the comfort that Jesus gives to him and kind of says, hey, you've continued to pursue people for the sake of my name so that they would have eternal life. And you're going to keep going. We've got more work to do. I was talking with uh, the pastor who baptized me this week, and I got to see him at a friend's wedding, and we're chatting, and he actually um, is suffering from Parkinson's. And so he retired this last year. And as we're having conversations, I'm asking him just how he's doing, emotionally, physically, how everything's going on with family, and uh, how the retirement's gone, and just how they're doing in general with finances, everything about life. And he begins to share with me how, how it was how the last couple of years have been pretty tough, um, how health hasn't been the best, and there's moments where it's just really, really hard. And in the middle of it all, he started sharing about how while he's retired from ministry, there have just been random moments where God places people in front of him and his wife and have said, hey, would you walk with us through some marriage issues? Or young men have come to him and say, hey, would you hang out with me? I need some help in just walking with Jesus. And as I'm sitting there hearing the stories of uh, how the Lord is still using him, even post-retirement and walking through the, the health issues that he has, I just kept thinking of this passage, how Jesus may, maybe just felt like he was standing right next to him and said, well done, for you've testified about me for the last several years, and you will still continue to. And I looked at him, and I was just like, man, what an example. I praise the Lord for the ministry that God is using him in. And we may not have the physical risen Jesus actually stand right next to us today, but the Spirit of God dwells within us. Church, there's still work to be done. And whatever it is that you're walking in, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that uh, you feel like uh, it's just hard, whether it's health issues or finance struggles or marriage issues, or you're, you're, you feel like you have no idea what you're doing as you parent your kids, whatever it is, I want you to know that Jesus is there to comfort you. And we have comfort and hope in the resurrected truth of what he's done and what he will do. And it makes me think of what Paul writes in Romans. He says, what then? are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And then later on in the passage, in verses 38 and 39, he says, For I am persuaded that neither nor death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, whatever it is that you're going through, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of him because he gives it to us joyfully over time and time again these are the words, words that paul looks to and this is the hope that he believes and this is the hope that the resurrection provides for us we not only look backwards to the resurrection that jesus rose and we could have new life because of him but we also look forward to the hope of the resurrection that is ours that when he restores all things makes all things new gives us new life that we'll be glorified with him in heaven forever and have eternal life with jesus the prize is not heaven or eternal life the prize is himself that we get Jesus all, all for all eternity. Friends, our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is not in vain. Our hope is true and real, and we get to look to him, the King of Kings, Jesus himself for all of eternity. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, 
Jesus does something very familiar that he did to Paul. He stands with the disciples, and he looks over them, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he ends it with this, For I am with you to the end of the age. He did the same thing to Paul. You've testified about me and made disciples, and you're going to continue to go and make disciples. For I'm with you. Have courage. Friends, that's the same truth for us today. That wherever you're at, whatever is happening, he is with us. And we have comfort in the resurrection. We have comfort in the truth that we can look to the risen Christ. Friends, the resurrection drives our character. It's what we put our hope in. And it provides us comfort. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that... You are a God who brings new life. I thank you that this morning we get to see this story that's just weird. Um, and we get to see the beauty of who you are in the middle of it. While Paul was beaten and bruised and yelled at and slapped and probably discouraged, you stood right next to him and you said, have courage. And you comforted him. Jesus, we pray that you would do that same thing to us, that your spirit would fill us and give us courage, and that your spirit would fill us with comfort and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us to go forward on the mission regardless of our circumstances, that we would look to you in the death and resurrection, that you defeated sin and death, and that we could have free, everlasting life with you, Jesus. What a beautiful gift it is that you've given to us, the free gift of having life with you. Jesus, I pray that we would always look to the resurrection and put our hope in that over anything else. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.